that's the thing is I I think birds kind of like they're so they kind of make us see our own foibles so much like like they're so relatable and and like we we cringe at the things they do because it's like it's us we're looking into a mirror (laughs) okay let's do a little meditation exercise I want you to think of someone in your life who you absolutely detest. Not the president, not a public figure, but someone in your life. Got him? Okay, good. Now think about one of their behaviors that you find annoying. Not a violent or evil behavior, but a really just annoying one. Got it? Okay, good. Are you clenching your steering wheel a little tighter right now or really forcing that stiff pleat in your freshly laundered pants? There's no way we can ever forgive their awful behavior. But what if instead of picturing your enemy as your enemy, you thought of that person as a little animal, like a bird? Would their greedy or offensive or self-righteous bullshit be more palatable, more tragically human, or even just a little cute? This is another episode about animals. Not just how human they can be, but how much we see their behavior in our own. I hope you guys like it, and as always, remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or whatever off-brand hipster podcast software you use. If you like this episode or any other, share it with a friend. And if you feel like making my little heart explode, in a good way, give me a five-star rating on iTunes. If you wanted to explode in a bad way, maybe, I don't know, invest in some witchcraft. Hey everyone, I have not been in the booth for a little bit, so it feels kind of weird to be back in these strange concrete halls at the Nerdist School Podcast booth. Um, I don't know when this episode will be released, so I'm not going to dig in too much to all the crazy bullshit that's happening now. I'll probably get that in the intro. Suffice it to say, I am needing more and more every little opportunity I can get for reminders that there are good, positive life-affirming things in the world right now. So in a world where it feels like there's a Friday night massacre just about every day, at least there's... Birds. <laughs> you sounded a little tentative. <laughs> oh, I was just getting really. Th- I was like thinking about it because you know it's been the news has been pretty upsetting lately. Yeah, uh, and so I was like going down that hole, and then at the end of the tunnel is birds. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you any tunnel you follow down, eventually, eventually you get to birds. You get to birds. Who am I with? I'm with Katie Golden. One of the many cracked diasporics that I'm just catching up in, in my <laughs> podcast net. Do you want to introduce yourself to my audience real quick? Uh, sure. So I'm a comedy writer. My main home is Twitter, where I pretend to be a bird. I'm pro-bird rights or bird rights activist, and I use that as a place to do extremely cutting and intelligent political satire. I, I think this single-handedly is what's going to take down the Trump regime. Yeah. I, well, you know what's funny is, so I started this way before Trump, and that vo- that really stupid voice that I have cultivated 
happened years before before Trump was even like I I had barely he was barely even on my radar like that I mean that's such a comforting thought isn't it remember oh. back when like he wasn't even you you're like oh yeah that guy's kind of an idiot but whatever and now it's just like it, it's actually made it harder to do tweets because now it feels like everything's just a parody of Trump and it's it didn't start out that way it was just like I'm going to make the stupidest sounding bird character that I can. And now it's, it feels like I'm like, I'm just parroting Trump all the time. And it's hard to do a certain avenue of comedy now because of his existence. Yes. Because he is so stupid and <laughs> the world that surrounds him is so ridiculous that it feels like there's this whole avenue that's just like, I can't. There's no joke there anymore. That's just the fucking truth. Right. It's like you're any kind of satire is just like pointing at him and saying, look, he did this thing. That's stupid and bad. Yeah. It's like satire is photojournalism now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's like I can't watch Saturday Night Live because it's just anything that Alec Baldwin does. It's just like, I don't know. It's not even as bad as what's happening. It's not. It doesn't feel like satire anymore. It just feels like, you know, hey, look at him. Look at him go. He's, he's... <laughs> this <laughs> mediocre impression he's doing. Right, It's right. okay, I guess. Right. Like, I mean, like, no matter how, like, Alec Baldwin, like, squishes up his face, like, he still can't, like, capture that, you know, that, like, pouty, like, lip thing that Trump does yeah, all the, the time. Yeah, the, like, five-year-old yeah. face of a... You know, if someone's spoiled, like yeah, spoiled like rotten. Yeah, like he just like ate a lemon and he's like <laughs> mad at his mommy. Um, you didn't tell me it'd be so sour. <laughs> I hate Blockwe. <laughs> Except on a on a grown man who possesses a nuclear arsenal. You know, it, it, I've gotten some comments like where it's like, well, wow, it must be, this must be a great time to be doing satire on Twitter. And it's like, no, it's actually kind of difficult because... You know, when I when I if I make fun of a Trump tweet, then I just feel like I don't know what else. I don't know what to do with it. I, it's like I can't work this clay. This clay is already <laughs> shaped into something. Yeah, this I dug this clay out of the earth, and it already looked like a huge stupid cock. <laughs> so there's no need for yeah, me to try to mold it. Yeah, what what am I gonna do? Like put googly eyes on it? I'm not really sure how to how to how to craft this into something else. Uh. It kind of reminds me of a Patton Oswalt joke from 2008 where he was used to people coming up to him being like, I bet you comedians love Bush, don't you? He's so good. <laughs> and he's got this joke where he's like, if there were a bunch of flying buttfuck demons and you know they would just pick people up and fuck them and then the Pope banished them to another dimension, <laughs> like I would be glad even if I had a solid 10 minutes on those demons and then I couldn't do those 10 minutes anymore, <laughs> I'd be happy that they were gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because, uh, like, I don't know. Like, it seemed like Bush was something where, where you know, a lot of people were, were struggling with how to parody him because, you know, he was kind of dopey. But, you know, in, in retrospect, like, he was not – you could still take it, take it a step further. Like, he, yeah. he was – I mean – I I don't feel I don't miss Bush. I I didn't like him and I don't think the fact that Trump is a buffoon makes him any better, but he at least had an ability to function socially. 
yeah, he could human. He right. Could, he could exist. He could have sort of a, he could, he had a, like a charm and it, it made me understand why people would support him, even though I felt like the war was awful and wrong and there was a way to like take his behavior and then parody it because he wasn't really just like a drooling moron uh that was just like the the comedic take on him and so yeah. it's like now it's just like what do, i don't know what what you do <laughs> <laughs> you can't have a comedic take yeah okay that's we're not here just <laughs> just to talk shop about how you parody trump right um katie I usually start my interviews by asking whether or not my guest is an optimist, a pessimist, neither, both. Do you have any kind of finger on where you are in that continuum? Yeah, I think I do. I I feel like I'm kind of a, I'm an optimist who I know it's important to acknowledge that there are bad things. Like, I think it's important. You can't be an optimist and refuse to look at bad things that are in the world. Like you have to acknowledge like life is unfair. There's a lot of suffering. And the optimistic part is that is the belief that we can improve and that like there is a way um, to make the world better. And it's not it's not just a blind adherence to the belief that like things will be better if we don't do anything and like think like there's everything happens for a reason or everything, you know, like people are essentially good. It's like, well, no, we have, you have to work hard to, if you're an optimist, you have to believe also in, in hard work to get to a, a just world. So I feel like, yeah, there, there's a lot of bad things and a lot of unpleasant realities, but uh, being like, if you're pessimistic about it, you're guaranteed that nothing's going to change because you're you're sort of admitting defeat. So if you feel like, I mean, you, I guess you could be a pessimist, but also be very active. Like if you're an activist, but you're pessimistic, that's fine. I think that's okay. But as long, just as long as you feel things are wrong, like just kind of try to do stuff about it, vote or get involved with things or just personally be a good person to be nice to people I think it's just like important to kind of be uh you know take take some kind of action towards the goal of things being better is that something you've arrived at throughout your life or is that something that you've always had um I think it's something I've arrived at because when I was a little kid I was extremely anxious. I used to think about, like, when I was, I remember when I was, like, 12, I would think about, like, we have such a brief existence, and then we splutter out, and then there's nothingness, and I was, like, very, like, Werner Herzog, like, the, you know, the march of time is an inevitable approach towards death. So I'd lie awake at night thinking about all this stuff, and it, it weighed really heavily on me, and, but I think I, like, kind of came out through the other side of, because, like, you can't think about that stuff like all the time without eventually getting to the point of like, you know, it's it's actually not that scary. When you realize like life isn't fair, it's a really shocking thing as a kid because you're like, oh man, there is no, there's not an inherent justice to the world. Like things can, bad things can happen to good people. And that's really scary. But you can kind of come out the other side and think, well, you know, there's not really any use in feeling bad about it all the time just try to be a 
good person try to you know make the world better and then that's that's the way to deal with that anxiety rather than just like lying awake at night with Werner Herzog's voice in your head. <laughs> I have found in other people I've spoken to throughout my life, not just on this podcast, that when you come to accept, and this is, I suppose, if you want to be grandiose about it, you could say this is a somewhat Buddhist perspective, but then when you accept that, like, yeah, there's suffering everywhere, things hurt, then you can stop being upset yeah. about it. Like, yeah, the plate broke. Shit breaks. <laughs> it's not going to not break because you're upset about it. Like, things are constantly breaking. We're all moving towards entropy and dying. Right. So live with the life that you have. Right. And I think it's important because I think people who are really empathetic, uh, the weight of suffering can be paralyzing because, like, the more you feel for other people, the kind of more insurmountable things like inequality and, and suffering can kind of weigh on you. So I think it's it's kind of important to give yourself a break. Like, you know, it, you can, it's okay to sort of, you know, it, it, you don't have to constantly feel bad about about the bad things in the world because someone with empathy is the type of person we need to be able to function and you know, just kind of like take care of yourself and, you know, let, let yourself kind of have a little bit of breathing, breathing room. And it, it's, you know, you can still feel it's still healthy to feel empathy and, and feel bad for when when something terrible happens or if there's there's something unfair, you're not just paralyzed by it. Yeah. So how does that take us to birds? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think birds are just delightful. They're they're so wonderful. They're, they're like. Um, they're, they're just the, the, they're like the salad of nature. <laughs> what the fuck? Well, okay. I love so, that quote. So there, there's so many, like, there's not just like one bird. There's so many different flavors of bird. It, it's, they're the Swiss, they're like the Swiss army knife. They, they, there's big ones. There's teeny tiny ones. They all, they're, it's like a whole, um, I don't know. It's like any like there's a bird for every occasion, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I find all of them all of them delightful, even the scary ones. They have so many different behaviors. You know, they they're great to look at, nice to listen to. Uh, well, not all of them. Peacocks. Yeah, have, some are awful. Peacocks have like a voice like demons. Yeah, it's so pretty and so terrible to yeah, hear. Yeah, we so when I was a kid, um I grew up in San Diego and apparently peacocks just sometimes happen in San Diego. <laughs> they don't get hatched there. They just They just happen. Well, like I I mean, the Wild Animal Park has like a bunch of peacocks that wander around and then some people keep them on their ranches, I guess. And then so sometimes they just like will appear and we had one come in our yard and just stay there for like a few months and it was like our pet and it was really it was a male peacock so he had the uh blue and gold and green plumage really beautiful and uh he had a pretty you know he was he kind of had a nice personality he wouldn't let you pet him but he was just kind of cool with you because like we'd feed him bread i'm sure bread is not i know bread's not good for birds but we were stupid. We were kids. We just gave them bread. 
And um, I think we gave him bird seed too sometimes. I'm like, that's probably not a peacock's diet. But he would do this thing where he would like, we had this kind of like hill and then a fence, and he would get up on the fence and then sort of like, they don't, they're not great flyers, but they can kind of flap and glide from one place to the other. And he would do that onto the hill and then scream the whole time. He was just like, like, he'd be like, ah! <laughs> and uh, it was like so weird to see this beautiful, majestic thing flapping like a crazy person and screaming and, and then like sort of crash land onto the hill. It sounds like one of those baked in ironies of nature. Yeah. <laughs> that something so beautiful could be so awkward and awful. Yeah. Is a reminder that. Maybe not to take things so seriously. Yeah, it's like when you like you you see someone and they're just like gorgeous, and then they start to talk, and their voice is just like, "Hey, what's <laughs> up, you guys?" Like, um, I don't feel so bad about myself <laughs> <laughs> that I'm kind of middle of the road on bo- on looks and a weird voice. I- I'm fine here. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like like I'll, I'll I could be like wearing a really pretty dress and feel really well made up, and then I start to laugh like like a nervous hyena, and I'm like I, I know I sound bad, but you know it, it's you know that's you kind of have to make sacrifices when when you're peacocking. You gotta <laughs> you, peacocking comes with the terrible voice. <laughs> Sounds like some pickup artist line. I it yeah. I they do actually. Okay, so I, I looked at a dictionary of pickup artist terms once. I was an 18-year-old boy when the game <laughs> came out. I There was a brief moment in time where I was like, is this what I'm supposed to want to do? Like, I <laughs> guess I'll read this book. I No one's telling me what to do. Yeah, I, I did it for the purpose of um, making sure. Like, I was like, well, if I ever see this in dating, I'll immediately dump the guy. <laughs> They 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 have a term called peacocking where it's like you wear nice clothes and I I don't understand like why you need a term for that it's like it's like you wear like really good clothes on your dates like that's just called going on <laughs> dressing up to go on a date it's called trying yeah it's not it's just I mean they have their whole cute little dictionary of terms and I just think that's funny that they have like peacocking as a term. Uh, when you need a term for everything is when it starts to edge away from being like an idea into being a cultish yes. identity. Yeah. Yeah. I've not, I've noticed that like, um, yeah, with these kind of like pseudo internet culture cults, like they'll, they'll have like these terms and, and you know, it's, it's just like, Oh man, I don't know if I should mention Scientology. I, I'm not a, a Scientologist. <laughs> well, no, I'm just like, are they going to come and get me? No, I mean, they can try. <laughs> if Scientology comes for me, the amount of press that'll give my podcast, <laughs> I will be so grateful to you. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, in Scientology, they have a lot of like little, little dictionary terms like, oh, I don't remember exactly what they are, but it's like um, they call, they call bad people gophers or squirrels or something and like. Uh, uh, you know, of course, there's the Thetans and then the, um, but they, they just have their their little all their little their little phrase book of stuff. And I guess I don't know. I guess it's like it makes you feel part of a little society and it isolates you because people can't understand what you're saying. And you're like, we're gonna go and and peacock those gophers. 
like it's nonsense. Oh, those those Scientology pickup artists are really <laughs> there's a strange Venn diagram right there where they intersect. Um, let's get back to birds. Yes. Okay. So uh, in this podcast, I like to use sort of big G and little G to describe types of good. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as little G, that's like good for you personally. How are birds good for you in a personal way, like when your life feels like trash? Birds. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, it's they're kind of my creative muse for like humor on Twitter. I just think there's something about like how adorable their behavior is. And I'm talking about like regular street birds, like pigeons or um, little sparrows or whatever. And like when they they'll take like a chip and then they'll see you coming. And then they start walking, and then they look over their shoulder, and you see they, they, you're still approaching, so they're like walking faster, and they're kind of like waddling, and and they're it's just this, they just seem so like self-important and entitled, and then also suspicious that everyone else is gonna get them. They have like this quality of narcissism that's like really <laughs> cute. It makes satire f- more fun for me, you know, making fun of that quality in humans can be kind of draining but like when you imagine a bird doing all of these self-serving things it's really cute because they're just waddling away with like an entire muffin and they can't really carry it and it's sort of sisyphus (laughs) situation so it's a kind of microcosm of human behavior but in the package of this little fat ball of of awkward feathers the thing about that that relates so much to me is this assumption by the bird that you want what it has <laughs> and that it factors into your life in any way because it wants the chip or the muffin in its mouth so obviously everybody else must want it yeah and that feels so human yeah yeah it's like when you hear people talking and you you it's like one word they say maybe applies to you and you're like Oh, they're talking about me. Yeah. They're saying bad things about me. It's like, no, you're at like a 7-Eleven and these are high school kids and you don't know them. They're not talking about you. They're, they're definitely not talking about you, but you like, like you hear something. It's like, oh, okay. And it's like, what, what, what are they saying about me? Like, how do they know me? Like, how, how does Heather from this high school know me? Yeah. I, I mean, high school kids are a whole other story. That's There's true. Sometimes, nothing more intimidating than a high school kid. Sometimes they are making fun of you for sure. Yeah. Like they, they're like. Look, they're they're older. They're succumbing to mortality. (laughs) Yeah, you will too in six years, my dude. Yeah, I know. But it's like that arrogance that high school kids have where they they don't think they're gonna age and then they're like, Look at that, look at that asshole. Like they're they're growing older. (laughs) Yeah, because when you're in high school, growing older is purely a good thing. Right. There's you're just have good things on the horizon. Right. And once you I'm 28 now, and like <laughs> every every second I age is like well, I'm getting I'm gonna be 40 in 12 years. Right, right. It's funny. I mean, I'm the same age. I don't I don't judge other people for uh, aging as much as I judge myself because I'm like, man, I I'm almost 40. And it's like no, I'm I mean I'm not almost 40, but it's like you feel like, man, it's just going to be like jump, hop, and a skip until like you're dead. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's approaching. I think it's because like in your in your late 20s, you left the safe harbor of that feeling of infinite age. And then you're like, no, 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 we're all, we all grow old. That's the thing. Yeah. But birds, uh, <laughs> but birds, 
Um, birds, some birds live really long, which is cool. I find it funny when people get birds as pets that live to be, they, they can live to be like human ages. Like 80? Yeah. Well, I mean, birds in the wild. There, There's a bird called a kokopo. I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, but it, it's a cute name, like kokopo or kokopo. Kokopo? Kokopo. That's yeah. a dog. No, no, no. It's like kokopo, and it's, um, sh- I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right, but let's pretend. Okay. Uh, and it, 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 it can actually live to be around 80. Parrots can live to be like 40, 50, you know, like a short, somewhat abbreviated human lifespan, yeah. but it's still like almost comparable to a human lifespan. It might outlive you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's crazy to me, like to have, I have a friend who has like a, um, I think it's like a cockatoo. It's just going to be there, I think, for the rest of her, you know, almost the rest of her life because it's like, it's going to live another 20 years probably well i mean i hope my friend lives longer than that birds as pets is something i've never fully understood yeah why people i understand having something like an aviary if you're Mm -hmm. like a duke or like a maharaja (laughs) you have a small duchy so you have an aviary yeah if you have enough space that you don't have to live in it right right. i get it because they're pretty to look at i was walking i was walking in this neighborhood i had a show last night I was like running my lines in my head and walking around and there's this dude outside, hipster as fuck, smoking a vape but on his shoulder was, I guess, a parakeet or something or like some what small, did it? it was small and had kind of a like, you know, beak that kind of hooked back around. Yeah. Like green, some green coloring. Yeah. Was it green with like a sort of lighter colored head and like yeah. gray stripes? Yeah. That's like a parakeet. Yeah. So he had just like a parakeet just like chilling on his hand. Wow. Yeah. That's some trust because I used to have parakeets and those little little assholes would like try to escape to freedom all the time. One of them eventually did manage to get freedom. Like I went off to college and one of them had died of old age and then the other one, uh, my mom was cleaning her cage and then she just like went off and yeah, who knows? Maybe she's still out there. <laughs> Fly in the skies. Looking for you so that she can torment you more. Yeah. She didn't like me at all. So like if she was looking for me, it would be revenge <laughs> for sure. For me, the appeal of a bird is just because I've always loved birds. Even when I was a little kid, my mom says I would like run after birds. And my mom would ask me like, what are you doing? And I'd say like, I want to catch one. Like I want to get one. And I would, uh, when I was a little older, I'd get like a box, like a chew box. And then put some bird seed under the shoebox and then put like a twig and do the whole wily coyote thing, like waiting, you know, around a corner for a bird to go get the seed. And then like, you know, you pull the string and the shoebox comes down. Do you ever, does that ever work? No, of course not. (laughs) I definitely always sympathize with wily coyote. Do you think wily coyote just wanted to be friends with Roadrunner? No, I mean, he wanted to eat get get in that yeah that's like, canon that. yeah yeah like he he definitely wanted to chow down on some hot fresh roadrunner but uh no i mean like i i still for for whatever maybe i don't know maybe like there is some kind of predatory instinct that i was going off of when i was a kid but definitely it was a friendship thing like aggressive friendship predatory uh, friendship. predatory friendship um but i always like when i would watch looney tunes i was like i felt real bad for sylvester and um and all the predator 
characters because like you know that that feeling of like no i just want to catch you and like i mean they wanted to eat them but i i you know i wanted the friendship you wanted to siphon off the love yeah eat the, the love yeah suck that love until dry and yeah <laughs> suck that love deep <laughs> so birds yeah 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 so in the human behavior aspect of birds do you ever catch yourself doing shit and you're like, oh, I'm kind of being bird-like right now? Oh, absolutely. Especially if it's my character, Bird, uh, trademark, uh, <laughs> registered trademark, copyright, Bird, with capital B. So, right, you're saying you find yourself doing... Yes, definitely. Especially food-related things. Like, I notice if I have, like, a bowl of popcorn or chips or something and, like, I'm sharing it uh with someone and i notice them eating it like i feel this like i gotta keep eating i gotta eat faster than them because they're gonna eat it and i need to eat it before they do even when i feel the same thing even when i don't want it right if i don't want food and it's near me i won't touch it right but if other people start eating it yeah then i find this impulse it's like like, it's like back off that's mine that's mine i need it i need it get away yeah, it's like you're just like, oh my god, I got I got to shovel all this food in my mouth before they get to eat it. I need to survive. Right, even though you don't you definitely don't need like an entire bowl of cheese doodles. But some part of you is right. certain that you do. Right. And it's also the self-justification and this is more my inference of bird behavior like when I see a bird who has an entire stolen bag of tackies or something and like is looking at me and in their expression I see this feeling of no I need these and I deserve these because I worked hard for them and this is America and like that's that's how I feel sometimes you know I I don't have too much food guilt but I definitely like if it's something like a snack food that really has like zero nutritional value I will go to great lengths to justify it. Like, like no, this is America. I deserve these. Um, Back off. <laughs> I worked hard. I, I found this bag and I deserve it. Yeah, I, I worked hard for these tackies. <laughs> no one has ever worked hard for yeah. tackies. Not even the people who make tackies. That's why they're tackies. No, you, you, find, them, you find them on the ground and that's, that's where you get them from. Like, I've never bought them in a store. I don't think they come from stores. No, they don't come from stores. I think the distributor on the truck there's a guy whose job it is just to yeah. shake a bag out yeah they sort of toss them off the side of the truck so you find tackies like on the ground and then here's the thing is i've never look i've never eaten tackies from a ground I, I i want that to be clear i don't go in around eating floor tackies but um sure we, we all believe you well i'm tempted though like the thought crosses my mind i see that ground tackies and i'm like ah you know, no one else is going to eat it. <laughs> and the thing is, is there much difference between a tacky on the ground and one that you would get off a proverbial shelf? I doubt it. I mean, th- those things are so coated in like a, it's like a powdered preservative that like, I'm sure it could be in the gutter. And then if you just dust it off, it's still good. Yeah, they're gutter stable for like right. two years. Right. There's sort of in a colloidal solution of preservative and then whatever that red powder is. Yeah, that red powder is just people who've tried to eat them in the past and right. just turned into <laughs> dust. 
Colloidal is a word I don't know, which brings me to the point that you studied science in college. Yeah, uh, psychology, which I remember someone asked me, oh, do you, are you in like a scientific field? And I said, yeah, psychology. And they were like, what do you mean? That's not a science. And then I was like, well, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I took a lot of um, evolutionary biology classes, so you could say I'm something of an expert. I really enjoyed um learning human psychology and then I was also super interested in animals and there was no like animal psychology major so I just like took a bunch of psychology classes and took a bunch of evolutionary biology classes and whenever there was crossover like I jumped on that and was really interested. So does that kind of parlay you into loving bird psychology? Yeah for sure for Uh, sure. Birds are actually they came up a lot in some of my psychology classes because their language acquisition is something that is of great interest to psychologists. They have this period of language crystallization where young birds will listen to birdsong and learn, you know, what they're supposed to sound like. And it's very similar with humans. Like we have a period of time where we can pick up on language and we have these pre-existing structures that allow us to learn language much like birds. And then if you don't learn language within that period of time, you can't you, you can't really learn it in the same way later on. So that's why like you could have uh, if a child is sadly like abandoned and is uh, like the, the feral children, mm. um, they have real hard time communicating because they have passed that age where they can actually learn language easily. And so there's a lot of these really interesting studies where they look at birds and bird song and kind of try to use that as a way to learn about human language acquisition. Oh, uh, that's really fascinating. I yeah. Had no, so if is it the same with birds then? If you take a bird out of the nest for, I don't know, however many weeks when it's supposed to crystallize its language acquisition... It can. I, you know, I I'm, I can't remember if there's any specific studies that have done that. I'm sure, I mean, there must have, that, but I would imagine so um, because, yeah, I think it's like you have kind of this this uh, period of time where they learn birdsong, and then after that, that time has passed, like they don't learn new songs as easily. Um, and it's... You know, it's why we have birds that can learn, like, to say human words, uh, like, which is not just not just parrots, uh, ravens, starlings, minor birds. Uh, there's a bunch of non-parrot birds that can say human words because for them, they're just like, they don't realize that's like a human word. They just grew up around a human. So to them, they're they're learning a song they're learning a bird call but it just happens to be like whatever awful word that (laughs) like i I looked on youtube because i was looking at uh uh, these different birds that learn language and some people just like to teach their their birds to cuss (laughs) so it's just like can wait can we cuss on this podcast of course yeah great so it's like it's like you have this parrot and they, they learn the intonation because they're very, it's a very sophisticated lingual ability because they're learning the 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 pattern of the the musicality. Yeah, you could say. exactly. So like like if you teach a if you're if you're constantly 
cursing, like the bird will not only learn the word, but the tone in which it's said. So like there's this video of this bird that's just like, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) God damn it. Fuck. Uh, And it's so funny because they they just like, or like a bird, like, and you can just tell like what the bird is hearing, like, don't bite me, you little bastard. <laughs> uh, and then they can, if the, the person like has an accent, like it's a Scottish person cursing at the bird, you know, the bird will have the Scottish accent, like, yeah, we bugger. <laughs> I, that's, it's funny from like a human perspective just because it's funny, but also it kind of knocks you back a peg where everything we say has so much meaning to right. us. But from an outside perspective, it's just noise. It's just bullshit that we say. And it's probably the same. We probably think that all these dumb like tweets and chirps are meaningless. But through the context of birdness, there's a complex complex logic going on to everything. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, like you have bird calls that mean different things. Like one really interesting one where birds will sing this like song to their eggs so that the the uh embryonic birds are actually like picking up on it somehow yeah and then it's like they they're tweeting this password to these birds so that if they get a um invader bird so like they're parasitic birds like cuckoos and cowbirds and if they tweet to the to the babies and the babies don't respond with this kind of like password song. So the babies can even in the egg, the babies can respond. Or this no, is no, after no, no, no. This hatched. is after they've hatched. Okay. So they're they're somehow picking up on. They're learning this uh, song like while in late. I mean later stages of egg development. I assume, and like when they're hatching, um, and then they're able to like tweet out this response. And tweet if they out a response. <laughs> and if they don't, then the birds just abandon the nest because it's probably a a cuckoo or a, a, a some kind of bird parasitic uh, invader species, and they don't want to. You know, it's a it's a waste of resources for them to take care of a, a different species of bird. <laughs> Oh, right. So if the cuckoo lays their own right. eggs in the nest. Right. So, okay. So cuckoos, um, they, they don't care, take care of their own babies. They'll like lay their eggs in another species nest and try to trick the parents to take care of that baby. And usually the cuckoo will do something like the hatchling cuckoo can like push out the other babies. And so like they get all of the resources. So it's really, it's a parasite, meaning it's like, a non uh, mutually beneficial relationship. Mm. The host species' best interest to like suss out these parasite birds from their own real babies. So that's why they do that like password kind of thing. So it's like so cool. Yeah, it's really it's really cool. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how they like how they're able to learn the password either because it it must be like they must they have to have completed enough stages of development that they can actually like hear and like retain bird songs so it's either like late later when they're in, still in the egg or like while they're hatchlings i'm not sure but it's just like it's really cool that's amazing all of this points to just how complex and cool evolution can be yeah that 
every new factor then makes a new evolutionary growth that makes it more and more complex but less simple and like oh birds have wings to fly simple but like (laughs) birds sing to their eggs because of cuckoos (laughs) that lay eggs in their nest that's so almost fractalinally complex where just every new thing creates a new difficulty and a new advantage and then so on and so on down the line of like everything is just so insanely complicated yeah and i i love that i think a lot of evolutionary biologists love birds for that reason like darwin was definitely interested in birds uh and um there's a um there's this uh book that just came out called or maybe not just came out but it's called like the um oh man it's it's it might be called like uh the evolution of beauty or something similar to that i Mm. I think i'm messing up the name but it's about um uh, mate selection in birds the fact that you'll have uh you know this kind of like beauty being selected for sexually in birds when it's not always necessarily just like a trait that indicates fitness you know you have these birds like birds of paradise where they have these huge tails that kind of interfere with their ability to uh to fly and like uh it's this big cumbersome thing but you know there's some theories that well maybe it's um maybe it is a uh it shows that they're really healthy because they can sustain this tail um, but it's it's unclear, like, in some cases that it's always really beneficial and whether it's not just purely kind of a sexually selected trait. And then that and then you get these like incredibly fanciful birds with like all these dongles hanging <laughs> off of them and like all these bright colors. And it, it's I mean, it's they have some of the most interesting courtship behaviors. I really like the the ones that do like a, a mating arena oh yeah i was watching some david attenborough documentary i was probably stoned because that's <laughs> the time you should be watching yeah. any david attenborough documentary and it's in the amazon right where they create like their the bower birds yeah, oh yeah the bower yeah. birds yeah yeah the the those are great because like th- that's not uh that's kind of a behavior that's in a lot of birds where they'll have sort of a, a display arena and like penguins do it too but Penguins only are working with rocks because, <laughs> like, that's all that's around them. But, like, bowerbirds have, like, all these colorful things like flowers and berries. And uh, and if they're close to, like, humans, like, they'll steal stuff from people, like, little pieces of colorful plastic. And what's really cool is, like, they they, like, color coordinate their little, like, home. So they they get like all blue things or all red things and then like put them together and um like these big sort of bursts of color are supposed to attract the female to their to their bower and then they like do a little dance (laughs) and then like like show her like stuff like hey look i found this like neat berry um or like this bottle cap that's blue so bowerbirds are all a bunch of fucking nerds (laughs) hey i I have a cool collection of stuff you want to be my mate (laughs) yeah this is a this is a mint condition 1999 coca-cola bottle cap uh i believe you'll find there are many others (laughs) but none quite like my own um if you look over here this is my collection of samurai swords (laughs) 
Bowerbirds suck. <laughs> I mean, they're amazing. They're truly amazing evolutionary creatures. Well, but that, that's the thing is, I, I think birds kind of like, they're so, they kind of make us see our own foibles so much. Like, like they're so relatable and, and like we, we cringe at the things they do because it's like, it, it, it's us. We're looking into a mirror. <laughs> yeah. I, I, even with the peacock, yeah. You look at the peacock's stupid, I mean, they're beautiful, but what purpose do they serve other than mating? And yeah. then you look back at yourself and like, why is my <laughs> hair like this? Like, why am I wearing these right. clothes? Right. I guess I want to get laid. That's why I look <laughs> like this. But like, fuck, this isn't useful. Like, yeah. I can't survive wearing these shoes. Yeah. The thirstiness that is in <laughs> ourselves is also in birds. And it's uh, it's laid bare for us to see in an objective way. When you're feeling really depressed about life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, all those <laughs> values, what about birds kind of puts some wind in your sails? Well, I think they're kind of indomitable. Like, you know, so they're they're very we've already established how relatable they are to the human condition, but then they're just so like they're so stubbornly tenacious. Like they'll, I've seen, I've seen a tiny like bird try to carry an entire muffin up a tree, and it's just like you know that's not gonna work, right? And he's just like, I'm gonna do it. It's gonna happen. <laughs> and I don't know if it's that they're stupid or or brave, but maybe both. That they they just like they try so hard and they keep going and they don't seem to be aware of you know the folly of their actions like these little penguins that collect rocks and make their nests sometimes another penguin will go over and steal rocks from an unsuspecting penguin's nest and you know the more rocks you have obviously the more girl birds are interested in you because it's like wow he has so many pebbles that's great but like even if they're getting all their stuff stolen right from out from under their beak, like they keep going, they keep trying. They just like keep adding rocks to their nest and like try to show it off and do their best. That persistence of trying to bail out your boat as the water <laughs> just keeps coming in and you're sinking, but you're just certain this will work. Yeah. Is really sweet. Yeah. Because that, ah, we're all doing that. Yeah. We're, we're, we are putting more rocks on our rock pile as other <laughs> penguins steal them up until the point that we die. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, there's so many of those stories of triumph or or not triumph, but just persistence in the face of adversity with birds. Like, there is this, um, oh, I forgot what the species is called, but it's like this seabird that uh, went to this island. And there was a news story about it recently where these researchers had painted these um, uh, concrete fake birds to look like the, the real birds so that it would attract um, more birds to this island because they were trying to repopulate this island with this species of seabird. And it didn't really it didn't really work that well. But one bird like went down there and like fell in love with one of these oh, statues God. and just like stayed there and like obviously no babies happened but like it just like it it was like on this island with only fake birds and it, it remained there alone and like um for a really long time and, and just like was faithfully 
in love with this statue. And then finally, uh, some new birds started coming to the island, mostly because, like, I think he was there. So, like, that drew new birds in. But, he, it, I mean, it didn't matter to him. Like, he was still in love with this statue. He wasn't interested in the... God, that sounds like something from the Odyssey. Yeah. It's so deeply like, tragic. Like, Narcissus falling in love with his reflection and... Uh, and the gods are like, oh, you poor thing. We'll turn you into flour or whatever. <laughs> we really fucked this one up. What are we going to do? I yeah. don't know. Turn him into a flower? No one will know. <laughs> That's always their solution to stuff. Like, like I don't know, like, turn her into a tree, I guess. Like, like well, isn't that going to be weird for her? I, I don't. I'm just like the god of whatever. Like, I, I don't have all the answers. Yeah. Like, In fact, I have none of the answers. Yeah. Like, I, like, turned into a swan to, like, have sex with a lady. You're looking to me for answers? <laughs> I'm the wrong guy here. Yeah. I have too much power and no knowledge. Yeah. Like, you know, they're not, they're not really good diplomats, not really good problem solvers, those those ancient gods no nor are the birds imagine if imagine if you were just a wanderer and you came upon an island and you saw the most beautiful person you've ever seen and fell deeply in love but really just some far not smarter but a different sort of intelligence creature had just painted a rock in a way that (laughs) you could not tell right you just didn't have the sort of intelligence to let you know that this this species of super intelligent octopus maybe had right. created a fake human here to attract you. How tragic is that? Well, I mean, if you can't tell, what's the problem? Like, you know, if it's like you think everything's great, like I've been married for, you know, 20 years to a rock, but like it all seemed to be going great, <laughs> then I don't know if that's tragic. Like maybe this bird is like super happy because like, you know, other birds have to deal with things like their partner going missing or like, you know, this one is just like their partner is a, a rock and yeah, he's always so. there. Just like steady as a rock. <laughs> <laughs> He'll never die yeah. and we're going to be happy forever. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, it's just so sad, though. It's so deep. All of this is so deeply human. Yeah. It, it's it's like touching. It, it's that the fact that birds will form these pair bonds and seem to care, love and care about each other. It's just like, it's so sweet and touching. Um, it's like a toucan that uh, uh, they have to worry about snakes because snakes love eggs. And so they go into like a nook in a tree and then seal off the opening um, with like mud and poop and whatever. So like it's this teeny tiny hole that is too small for a snake to get in, which means it's too small for the toucan to get out. So um, the uh, female lays the eggs inside this like sort of like sealed tomb and then the male goes out and gets food and feeds the female like every day is constantly bringing back food. And otherwise the system wouldn't work because then the female would starve and like the eggs would get eaten by snakes or whatever so it's like it's just kind of sweet that it's like they're so dependent on each other and you know who knows if they feel love but it's like it seems like they do (laughs) or at least we can see it right as love it looks like love to us right i guess that's all that we as people need 
Yeah. And I mean, who's to know, like, especially with more intelligent species of birds, even though we see clearly the evolutionary um, benefit to their behavior, maybe they experience it as love. Because like, maybe that's how these kinds of emotions evolved in humans, too, where it's like, yeah, there's an evolutionary benefit to finding a partner and working together. But like, maybe, you know, that feeling is still there's still something about that feeling that exists in birds you know they don't know it's for survival or maybe they're little dinosaurs and they feel nothing (laughs) (laughs) and they're pure computers but i mean a lot of the thing like you said a lot of the things that we do for our own survival are driven by love or the things that we do that are now detrimental to our survival but used to be important like amassing wealth yeah. And um, spreading genes, you know, <laughs> still feel like they're driven by things like love, even though they're right. trying to get all the money and all the sex in the world is something yeah. that's going to, sh- you know, blow up in your <laughs> face. Yeah. These emotions are, they, they don't like, you don't feel like, oh, well, I want to, I want to far- find a partner so that I can pass along my genes. It's like you, you do it because you're, you're lonely or because you want companionship. Um and I think it's easier to see, like, like when you look at a species like birds that has behaviors that are so similar. You see the tragedy and you see the, the funniness of it, like birds, like, collecting a bunch of crap and, like, showing it off. And, like, that's really funny. But, like, a human, like, collecting a bunch of money and showing off their car to, like, get a, you know, try to find a partner, it's, like, we don't see that as funny necessarily i mean i do i think it's hilarious (laughs) i think it's really funny too but there's a different element there's no sweet if you see like a really rich you know dude with a maserati that's so loud it hurts when you're driving by (laughs) it and he's got stupid clothes and one of those giant handheld vape like yeah hookahs it's funny but it's you it's funny to me in a derisive way like fuck that guy he doesn't realize how much he sucks right but a bower bird yeah (laughs) it's like (laughs) that sweet little idiot right and i think it might be nicer if i saw that that guy driving around glendale with his like loud car and all of his glitzy (laughs) whatever and i could feel like that's sweet you know that's sweet man (laughs) he's just looking for love and he doesn't yeah he doesn't get his own evolutionary drives I think birds take the edge off of shitty human behavior. You know, you see a bird being greedy and it's really cute. When you see a human being greedy, it kind of hurts because it's like we all suck. But it's like, well, I don't know. Birds suck too and they're cute. So like maybe there's hope for people. (laughs) Oh, that's adorable. We've got a little bit of time left. Do you want to run through some of your favorite birds? Maybe some favorite bird facts? Okay, yes. Well, maybe my favorite bird species just based on looks is the European robin. That's actually the my the the picture I use for the bird on pro bird rights. Uh it they're just like spheres of cute. They're like these little balls of of cuteness and apparently they're really friendly and they just their expression is angry and self-entitled and and it's just so cute. Um my favorite birds just behaviorally are probably like uh, ravens and crows because they're just so smart. They can do tool use and complex things like they learn to crack nuts by dropping them on roads and waiting for cars to run them over. And they keep grudges like they remember researchers who have done them wrong and follow them around and harass them. I think that's really funny. And one of my 
favorite bird facts is um, woodpeckers have really long tongues that, uh, like, when they retract them, it's kind of like, you know, like a tape measure, like, it kind of, like, you retract it, and it, like, circles around inside, it's like a spool, like, uh, woodpeckers have that same mechanism with their tongues, but it wraps around their skull. So, like, when they impact the tree, like, they're not constantly getting concussions because their skull is, like, suspended in tongue. <laughs> uh, suspended in tongue sounds like the <laughs> grossest metal album. Oh, man, I love that. Is is there anything, any philosophical topic or factual topic that I should have asked you about um because this is all fascinating to me i don't know uh i mean i i can't really think of one the only thing i think we haven't covered is the fact that like there used to be giant birds that roamed the earth like after dinosaurs and i think that's really funny that is really how big were they they were like um so that the terror bird which was like this giant um, flightless bird in South America. I think it could get up to like nine feet tall. Shit. And but it didn't like it. It would eat things that are about the size of like a small dog. But it was like the apex predator in South America for a while, and I think that's hilarious. <laughs> like this big, big ostrich going around eating things, and then like when uh when the continents like collided, and and ti- saber-toothed tigers and, like, these other megafauna came in. I think they uh, supplanted them as the predators. But, like, they would have been – they could have been perfectly happy to – just, like, we might have had, like, bird society <laughs> if, like, the continents hadn't collided and the those top predators hadn't been killed off. So now we're left with mostly cute and dopey birds. Oh, man, what could have been. <laughs> Katie, this has been wonderful. Where can people who've listened to this find you? Well, uh, I have a Twitter uh, called ProBirdWrites. I think I said that at the top, but definitely follow me there. And then my human Twitter, which I use far less often, is uh, Katie Golden. So I do have a podcast coming up that's all about animals, and you can hear me and uh, comedian guests talk about animals and, and how human-like they can be and how animal-like we can be. Um, and I don't know what the, the title is going to be yet. What network's that going to be on? It's going to be on How Stuff Works. All right. This has been wonderful. Like I said, guys, if you liked this podcast, uh, if you liked me, or even if you hate me and want to do it ironically, please rate on iTunes. Every rating goes a really long way just to help people find this podcast. You can also share it with your friends. Um Share a link on Twitter, on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram. I'm at 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 least pod at all three of those things. It's always great to have people listen. Um, Thank you guys for tuning in, and I will talk to you next time. Bye.